Romans 10, verse 18 through 21. These are God's words. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Isaiah, he says, sorry, but to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. In God's providence to us, as we're coming into a passage in which uh, we hear, first of all, that everyone has heard. Verse 18, have they not heard? Uh, Here, speaking not not only of Israel, but indeed of everyone. Uh, He says that they have heard, quoting from uh, Psalm 19, and Uh, what we call the doctrine of general revelation. uh, Then from verse 18, he goes into uh, verses 19 to 20. If they've heard, and then how is it uh, that some have not known uh, the Lord? If they've heard the Lord, why don't they know the Lord? Uh, And then uh, in verse 21, the urgency of hearing not only by way of general revelation, uh, but of hearing the gospel. Well, in God's providence, I was doing some maintenance on the stream today, uh, and rather than just uh, stand up here and say gibberish, I decided to open up to Westminster Confession 21.1. has been on my mind, uh, wrote on the regulative principle this week, But uh, I had forgotten, even in uh, writing uh, on it earlier in the week, what a good description uh, of what God displays about himself in general revelation we have at the beginning of the chapter of the Confession on religious worship and the Sabbath day. The light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath Lordship and sovereignty over all is good and doth good unto all and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the might. That God has displayed, even by the light of nature, enough about the goodness uh, of his nature and the goodness of his creation and providence toward us and to all the creatures 
that we have more than enough uh, in the light of nature uh, to cause us to respond uh, loving him, calling upon him, trusting in him. So we come to this passage this evening, uh, and when he asks the rhetorical question at the beginning of verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Uh, Since uh, faith comes by hearing the Lord Jesus, uh, and we made that distinction, that necessary distinction last week in verses 13 through 17, the hearing of the ear and uh, and then hearing the Lord Jesus address our hearts with that which our ears hear, the, uh, the difference between uh, those two things. Uh, he then asks again, have they not heard? And in particular, have those who are not calling upon the name of the Lord because they have not believed uh, into him, have they not heard? Uh, And the answer is actually, yes, uh, they have heard. And then he says, but I say, did Israel not know? Israel, of course, having heard more than just uh, the preaching, as it were, of the heavens and the firmament uh, and the creation. uh, But did they not know the Lord and We'll see when we come to verse 19 that there are those whom he makes to know, uh, whom he foreknew, uh, and whom he not only foreknew and makes to know him, but whom he will acknowledge, whom he will uh, declare that he knows them in the last day. There There are those, but there are also those who, by the very same Uh, The very same preaching, whether in the general revelation in the creation uh, or in special revelation and prophecy and specifically scripture, by the very same preaching they are provoked not to jealousy in which they come to the Lord and trust in him, but to anger in which they reject him all the more. So we'll see in the first place all have heard. In the second place, only the elect know. And then in the third place, in, um, in this beautiful description, verse 21, horrible if we focus on Israel's response, but beautiful uh, if we read and hear what it says here about the Lord himself, uh, the urgency of hearing the gospel preached. The urgency of hearing the gospel preached. And so, uh, as we consider these three things this evening, uh, we introduce by uh, noticing that the most important question for each of us is, do we know the Lord? Not just do we know about him, or do we know the words that he has given us and by which he has addressed us in the Bible, But do we know him himself? And more importantly, since this knowledge is relational and it is two ways, does he know us? Does he know us? 
that's the bigger question. We often speak in terms of knowing the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with that. But soon in Matthew 7, we're going to come to those who say, Lord, Lord, and who think they know the Lord, but are not being acknowledged in the last day. And he's saying, depart from me. And he doesn't say, depart from me, you never knew me. Matthew seven twenty three. he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And so this knowing the Lord into which he brings us by uh, not just the preacher addressing our ear, but the Lord Jesus addressing our heart with his words that he has given in Scripture uh, for the preacher to address our ears uh, with. This knowing him comes as a result of, as we heard in chapter 8 and verse 29, as a result of being foreknown by him. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Which is to say, not just that he made them to hear preaching, but like we heard last week, that's talking about the effectual call. That time at which he first addressed your heart by his word, sent his spirit by whom he had given the word in the first place to accompany the word, to give life to your heart and light to your mind, that you would have a proper view both of yourself but especially of Christ, and not only out of a true sorrow for your sin but an apprehension of God's mercy in him as he has given you that that life and that light to know that Jesus is a savior of sinners, that faith and the repentance which always accompanies it, he gave you in your effectual calling. And if you don't know him, if to go back over last week's portion, you are not calling upon him as the habit of your mind, the habit of your heart, your way of life is not a calling upon him because you haven't believed into him. You haven't heard him and believed into him, and therefore you're not calling upon him. Then you may yet do so. You may yet do so. For he gives to know him uh, by his word and by his spirit uh, accompanying his word. And so this is the great question for you. Do you know the Lord? And importantly, together with that, does he know you? Well, if you don't know the Lord, uh, if we don't know the Lord, we have no excuse. You have no excuse. He asks the question, verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? And he says, yes, indeed. And now he quotes from Psalm 19. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, it's helpful for us to go back to the original context because when it says their sound, it's not immediately apparent from Romans who the they are. 
about whose sound he is speaking. And so uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And so I ask you, have you ever heard the sky? Have you ever heard the daytime? Not birds telling you that it's daytime, but daytime itself and nighttime as marked by the sun. Have you ever heard the sun? Have you ever heard the moon? They are silent. They are not compressing uh, air. There, in fact, there is no air uh, by the sun or by the moon for them to uh, compress into your eardrums. Uh, but they are testifying, aren't they, uh, to their creator? In fact, he's good to us all day long by means of the sun. And then he's good to us all night long by the means of the moon and by means of the stars. Isn't this part of what he teaches you in James chapter 1 when he reminds you that he is the father of lights, plural, not just light in general, but the particular lights by which he has governed the day and governed the night and his goodness flows from one into the other. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. The sun does not strike you by day, nor does the moon harm you by night. Psalm 121. And so he displays his goodness in such a way that creation itself preaches to us not just the existence of God, but the goodness of God. That the God who has made these things that seem so great to us but he is infinitely more powerful, has done so in kindness and goodness to all of his creatures. Yes, to the animals, to those little birds who do announce to you that the daytime is coming. And so you can almost, can't you, hear the morning by the way the, uh, the birds start to tweet and the world is all a Twitter. Uh, those used to be words that declared to us the goodness of God. He declares his goodness, not just to birds and even to flowers of the field, but especially to you, his children, whom God has given you to know uh, yourselves as beloved in Christ, adopted in Christ, and him as your heavenly father. So all have heard, all have heard God describes the uh, creation not only uh, as speaking as clearly as words in the portion uh, that is quoted here in verse 4 of Psalm 19, but if you remember what we just read in verse 3, there is no speech or language in which they are not heard. Uh, the sun and the moon and the night and the day uh, they have done even better than Wycliffe, uh, Bible translators, and uh, 
Uh, We pray, of course, for the work of translating the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ into all the languages um, that the Scriptures may be available uh, to all to be read and heard in their common tongue. But God has already spoken in every language. Um, the, uh, The general revelation, this is why we call it general revelation, Every specific people have heard it. And so this general, this revelation is generalized. It's panlingual. And so all have heard, and all have very specifically heard, the Son. It is the Lord Jesus, the Word, through whom God created all things. He emphasizes this several times, especially in John chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. All have heard the Lord Jesus himself announcing the goodness to God. Well, if all have heard, as verse 18 says, how is it that not all know the Lord Jesus? And specifically, how is it that Israel did not know the Lord Jesus? And so he asks that question, verse 19. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Now this comes in Deuteronomy 32, in which the Lord is plainly telling the nation of Israel that they are going to be unbelieving and rebellious and hard-hearted and that they are going to provoke God to jealousy and to anger, to a jealousy that is a jealousy for his name and a jealousy that with respect to the elect uh, will be something by which he sets in motion the redemption not only of the nations but even of those elect Israelites as this passage sheds light on that one. But you have then these two different responses. So not only is general revelation announced to all, and it's not enough uh, by itself to save. The Lord does not uh, use it to save. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of the Lord Jesus uh, spoken by those beautiful-footed preachers uh, whom he sends, Uh, So all have heard, but uh, the hearing does not save them. Well, what about Israel? Israel has received the words of God by the prophets of God. They have beautiful-footed preachers, and they have had many of them. Does Israel not know? And the answer is, there are those in Israel who are not provoked to the knowledge of God. They're not provoked to saving faith. Their hearts are not made alive by the word. And there are those who are, and especially there are those who are by God's saving, even from among the Gentiles. In fact, the apostle, as we get into uh, chapter 11, is going to talk about how he magnifies his ministry, hoping that as Gentiles are saved, Greek Uh, culture uh, sinners are saved by faith in Jesus Christ 
God will use that to provoke to jealousy and save elect Jews. But there are these two responses then, even to God's special revelation. To the words of God about himself and about Jesus Christ that have been given by prophecy, that have been given now especially by scripture. In the former times, the Lord spoke to the fathers at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And yet there are many people who read the Bible and do not come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are many people even who sit under gospel preaching, sit under the the proclamation of God who became man, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Son becomes man and is sent into the world by the Father and sustained by the Spirit, even in his humanity, and obeys in our place. And having obeyed perfectly, yet suffers in the place of sinners, the wrath of God upon the cross, so that we see the love of God in Christ, dying not for the righteous, but for sinners, as we've heard uh, even in this letter to the Romans. And there are those who sit under the preaching of all of this week after week, month after month, year after year, and they never come to faith. Because there are those two responses. One, there are those who are provoked to jealousy. God uh, uh, God does uh, make them to uh, love him and respond Uh, to him. In particular, Israel here uh, is reminded that uh, God didn't only tell them that he was redeeming them. He even gave them his plan for the history of redemption, that God would save Gentiles, and that when he saved Gentiles, there would be Israelites who are provoked to jealousy and other ones who are provoked to anger. What a dreadful response then by those who are provoked to anger. First, God announced to them his love and the creation. And they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness and didn't glorify him or give him thanks. And then God redeemed them out of Egypt and presented himself to them as a redeemer, a savior, more than just from the Egyptians, but as one who is saving those who did not know him and bringing them into the knowledge of himself, that he would be their God and they would be his people, that he would atone for them and bring them near by the substitute, that he would make them holy as he himself is holy. Not only did they reject the creation, but they also reject rejected the word of God. And then he told them that although they were rejecting the word of God, He would save the Gentile nations or from among the Gentile nations and he would provoke them to jealousy and and cause them to see those who were not God's people at all for those centuries under Moses and they would be coming and knowing the living God and trusting in him and belonging to him and having his name put upon them in baptism and uh, believing in Jesus Christ and 
by the grace of Christ, not only being forgiven for all their sins and cleansed from their uh, from their guilt, but they would also uh, begin obeying all that Jesus commanded, and Jesus would be with them as uh, and this would go out to uh, to all the earth, and that which uh, we have described in more detail just now. This is what he said he would do in Genesis, in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 21, which is quoted here in verse 19. And yet many Israelites who had already rejected the goodness of God and the creation and the good God who created it, and they had already rejected the good God who had redeemed them as a nation and as a church, and offered himself to them in his word, and they had rejected that, even after he did what he had prophesied and promised that he would do in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 21, they were still rejecting him. They were provoked instead to anger. They were angry that the worship of Moses was being set aside. They were angry that Jesus Christ was uh, was believed in as temple and priest and sacrifice. They were angry that Gentiles were claiming to know the living God and indeed had come into the knowledge of the living God. And rather than being provoked to jealousy and finding in Christ what Aaron could never do, and tabernacle and temple could never do, and ox and goat, uh, bull and goat and ram and lamb could never do, rather than finding God himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not provoked to jealousy in which they found him, but to anger in which they rejected him. And yet... Verse 20 is true, not only for Gentiles, although I think we naturally read it that way in light of verse 19. Verse 19 uh, of Israel, Moses says, and so forth. But notice he doesn't mention the nations here. In verse 20, Isaiah is very bold and says, and here he quotes from the beginning of Isaiah 65, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Now, in the original context, really, as well as this one, aren't Israel, generally speaking, those who did not seek him and those who did not ask for him? Yes, this is very true of Gentiles who are being brought to faith by the preaching of the gospel here in Romans 10, verse 20. But isn't it true of everyone who has ever grown up in church and not come to know God in Jesus Christ? Did not hear Jesus address their hearts in the preaching? Did not believe into Jesus so that their identity was bound up with him and their lives did not become a calling upon his name who had given himself to them and given himself for them and made them right with God in himself so that their whole life 
is a calling upon him and a walking with him. You see, it's not just Israelites who have heard both general revelation and special revelation and still failed to seek him and failed to ask for him and have not had this life of knowing him and belonging to him and walking with him and calling upon his name. Many who call themselves Christian do not know him this way, do not walk with him this way. Do not be one of those, dear congregation, who have both general revelation and special revelation and yet do not ask for him and do not seek him. Indeed, read verse 20 again. Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. You see, God saves those who have been rejecting his general revelation and even those who have been rejecting his special revelation. His electing love and his saving power are not too weak for those who have resisted him for years, maybe decades in the church. No, he saves from among the nations those who had only ever had general revelation. And we know that the batting average or the salvation average of those who have only general revelation is zero. And yet to the nations he sent the gospel and here these Jewish men came preaching Jewish Hebrew scriptures in these very sophisticated Greek uh, culture, Jew-despising places. And God, the Creator, who had come as a Jew and had given the scriptures to this uh, seemingly backward people, was saving all sorts of Gentiles through the gospel and the Messiah who had come. Uh, in this way. And praise God, he, he saves that way. People who had nothing to do with the church at all, had nothing to do with Christianity at all. In fact, many people that you will meet who did not grow up into the, in the church and the Lord saves them later in life, they'll tell you. They thought Christians were the weirdest, most backward, sometimes even most offensive people. And then God came by his word and his spirit attending the word made them to hear Jesus. And they heard Jesus and believed into him. And they called upon him into whom they had believed. But he also does, doesn't he? Bring to salvation in a mighty way those who had grown up uh, under the preaching of the gospel and never came or had not yet come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, who had foreknown them, determined that at one point he would bring them to faith by that effectual calling. And so if you find that the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ, the knowledge of the Lord as your Savior, the one in whom all 
of your identity is, the one with whom all of your life is a walking with him, if you find that that is still foreign to you, then there is hope for you in the gospel. And the Lord calls you by his word, even now, to believe into him, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. You see, every time you hear the gospel, there is this wonderful moment of urgency. Even if you have never believed, even if you have believed since before you can remember, do you see then, finally in verse 21, the picture of the Lord that he presents to himself? And this is just the next verse in Isaiah 65. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now he identifies uh, Isaiah 65 verse 2 particularly with Israel. And he does so because it is to Israel to whom he had given the fathers and the worship and the witnessing of God's glory and the oracles of God and the Messiah who was going to descend from them according to the flesh. And by the time this is written, Romans 10, of course, had come uh, from Israel according to the flesh. And all of these things, the special revelation of God and especially the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ in his word, God describes as a stretching out his hands all day long. Do you not see that every time that you hear the gospel preached, that you hear the scriptures preached, the living God who made the worlds comes to you in his word and he stretches his arms out to you. And he welcomes you to himself in Jesus Christ. And never once does he do so disingenuously. What he describes here is in Israel, the all day long reminds us that they have not immediately responded. And even if you have not immediately responded, your creator, whenever you hear his word preached, his gospel preached, extends his hands to you still and welcomes you to come and believe in Jesus Christ and have Jesus as your righteousness and all of his obedience counted as your obedience and his sacrifice counted against your sin, against your guilt. He does this for you, of course, not just the once, but how often we like sheep go astray and we wander. We love to sing, don't we? The closing verses of Psalm 119W. Uh, and we sing of his word retrieving us over and over again. The Lord comes to you tonight. Perhaps you have been a believer for a long time. Perhaps you do know him and have known him. But your life has not been a calling upon him the way that you wish that it would have, the way that you know that it ought to have been. And your life has not been a walking with him the way that it ought to have been. And still he comes and extends his hands to you. 
Believe upon him, return to him, because there is this great privilege of hearing the gospel as the Lord stretching out his hands to us. But there's also this great peril, isn't there? If we disobey one more time, if for yet another sermon it falls on deaf ears, if after yet another sermon uh, you do not by his spirit bringing it home to you and you responding to him now, if you do not come to have your, your identity as belonging to him and your living as a walking with him and the cries of your heart all day long going up to him. Is that not what this verse describes as disobedient and contrary? You see, there is great peril Come to Christ. He welcomes you. Find him, even if you had never sought him, because verse 20 says he is found by those who had not sought him. Find him and know him. He is made manifest. He is revealed, presented to be known by those who had not asked for him. Come to him and you will find that his grace even gives to you to overcome that disobedience, to overcome that contrariness. Come to him and know the Lord and know that the reason that you did was because he knew you first. He foreknew you. And it was he who called your heart. Amen.